Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. In this episode, we welcome Morgan Lippart. Morgan is a poet and lawyer living in Colorado. Her creative work expresses lyrical reflection on current social issues and her own personal experiences moving from the plains of Illinois to the Mountain West. Her poetry has appeared in anthologies and journals across the United States, such as the Comstock Review, Magnolia, Blue Stem, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Third Wednesday, Front Range Review, and Off the Coast. When you were first introduced to poetry, when did writing poetry no longer feel like a homework assignment and become a passion? That's a great question. First off, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for reading my book. I really appreciate that. Poetry has been a lifelong just passion for me. It's never felt like homework for me. Um, as a little kid growing up in Byron, Illinois, I would write notebooks like big stacks of notebooks full of poetry. And of course it was a little bit juvenile, like roses are red, violets are blue, trying to do rhyming schemes and heavily influenced by Alanis Morissette at the time. <laughs> so it's just something that I've always felt compelled to do and create um, from a very young age. But then as I grew older, and I studied more of the classics and really got into the culture of poetry, my writing style has of course changed and, and um, it's matured through the years, but always loved it. That, that's terrific. So I think a lot of students can get unfortunately turned off on, on poetry because of their initial experience, but it sounds like you, you went straight into it. That's great. Uh, so getting a poem placed in a journal or published in a book, both of which you've accomplished, doesn't happen without a lot of rejections along the way. What have you learned about managing rejection as a poet? Rejection is just part of the industry and it is an incredibly vulnerable act to create a poem and even more vulnerable to submit it. And I think that it does sting a little every time you're rejected, every time you get that letter back, that says um, we're not going with your piece, it does sting a little. And even, you know, after it's happened 200 times, it always will. But you just have to absolutely keep going, keep searching for that yes. Because, yes, being vulnerable can hurt, but without that vulnerability, there is no, there's no beauty, there's no joy, there's no connection with others because you're writing something that's true and that's beautiful for you and others when it is when it is eventually published others will read it and they will feel less alone and then you will feel less alone through that act of publishing it so you just have to keep fighting for your dream of getting a poem in a certain magazine you just have to keep trying and that's the only trick to it the only trick is to be tenacious and to just keep going for it and i think part of it that 
people forget is that there's a timing issue. It's what they're looking for. It may have nothing to do with the quality of what you've written. It just has to do with the editorial choice they're making. So yeah, I agree. It's like you have to try not to take it personally, which is really hard, but right. uh, but uh, important. So your book, uh, Barefoot and Running, on sale now, is so personal and intimate. How did working through these memories and images affect you as you were writing them? Oh, boy. Um, it is a very intimate, very vulnerable book and i wrote it with the story arc that mirrors my own life um so i grew up in illinois and then moved out to colorado in my early 20s i packed my bags and left everything behind and started completely fresh completely new didn't know anybody in colorado and through this move i discovered that you're really able to heal your past and let go of it and start again. Um, that is actually possible in life, which is beautiful. And so that's why this book was so emotional and healing and therapeutic for me to write, because I was able to create that story arc and work through and acknowledge and process the tough things in order to come out on the other side, um, more of a whole, healed person. So it was very intimate, very intense. I had a vulnerability hangover <laughs> after it was published. The day after it was published, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> this was a huge mistake. But of course it, it wasn't. That was just a moment of panic because there is just so much truth packed into this book. But I, I knew at the end of the day, the message that anything can be healed and life really is beautiful if you take a moment to stop and appreciate the beauty and how far you've come. That message was more important than me being scared that my friends and family would read this book. So uh, poems are usually written as a standalone pieces. How did you approach turning a selection of poems into a coherent book? So what I actually did was create um, a huge stack of all my poems that have ever been published or the poems that haven't been published that I really believed in and printed everyone out on a piece of paper and threw it all over my room. And then from there kind of shifted the pages around plucked poems that had a certain theme to it. Um, and then just whittled, whittled it down, whittled it down to create that story arc and arrange it that way. So I have a huge body of work, um, and poems with different themes, different styles. But for this chapbook, I did want it to be really cohesive and to tell a story and have a message. So I just plucked from my publications um, different poems and arranged it into a little chapbook. Uh, it's so interesting that you describe that because I did exactly the same thing as I had 40 years of poetry to turn into a book and was not sure how would I arrange them. And it's just too hard to visualize in Google Docs, I, I printed them all out, just like you described, put them out on the family room floor and just started physically moving them around using like a storyboarding technique. And it just made it much easier to visualize. Yeah, so anyone who's listening who is thinking about how to organize their book, print it out and manipulate it physically. It just, it's, it's just so much easier. Yes, absolutely. Create a snowstorm of paper 
in your office. <laughs> and that's how you can organize it. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, so what have you learned about self-publishing a book that you wish you'd known before you started this journey? Oh, gosh, it's so much hard work, but it's absolutely worth it. It is the most difficult thing I've ever done because you're essentially going out and trying to do this thing and you have no idea how to do it. Like you don't even know physically how to sell the books. Like you have to Google everything. And every step of the way, it's like you're just walking through the dark because you just don't know what's next and you don't even know what's happening in the current moment, but you just do your best and you have to have grace with yourself um, because then on the other side of it, it's so fulfilling that I self-published and it's so fulfilling that the finished product, the cover, the poem choices, the marketing message, everything is something that I created and it's something that I believe in. And if you go with um, anything from a smaller press to a larger press, you don't have control over all of those decisions. So you're kind of giving your creative work up to somebody else. But with self-publishing, the beauty is all of that is yours, but also <laughs> the hard aspect is all of that is yours. You have to figure out how to do it all. Um, so I wish I just knew going into it how time consuming and tough it would be, but I would still have done it a hundred percent. Agree with everything you said. Yes, it's an incredibly complex undertaking to self-publish a book. And yet that complete creative control um, has such a payoff when you physically hold the first proof in your hand. So uh, you've brought a poem to read. Thank you very much. So why don't you, uh, I'll hand the mic over to you and then we can talk a little bit about the poem you brought. Sure. So the poem that I brought today is from the book. It's titled The Current Scene of My Childhood Home. And the theme of this poem is that time is able to heal and soften even the deepest heartache. And this poem was born out of a prompt that was in a writing group that I was a part of. And the prompt was, describe what is going on right now in your childhood home. And when I read this prompt at first, I thought, well, absolutely nothing. <laughs> There's just a yard and trees and birds and wildflowers and honeybees just peacefully existing and blooming quietly in the yard. And then I realized that that's really a metaphor and I really wanted to unpack that metaphor here. Um, and this poem really taught me that most, if not all of us, go through some tough, tough, tumultuous things in our childhood. And then after we grow up and become adults, then we're able to process and understand and heal and let go of so much of it. And so this poem is about that healing and it's about being able to unclench our fists around the past and let go. And there's a, a hand metaphor in here too. So I'll, I'll read it to you and see what you think. The current scene of my childhood home. The bees are circling something warm and sweet in the yard. I was something warm and sweet in the yard once. The sky was the same color as a slow ache for years, but now it's blue, just blue. Now comes the unfolding of prairie cones and wild indigos dotting color between the trees, 
as if nothing ever happened here. But I happened here. In dreams, my memories are something that can be undone, like a leaf falling upwards. As if a flutter of small hands, tender and purposeful, never struck the sandpaper of a matchbox again and again underneath the porch until everything I knew was black dust. As if I never believed we could have started new if just given the chance. But now, still, a breeze-scented chamomile sweeps through the tall grasses, leaves, past rabbits drifting to their dens. It's as if the land itself was healing, slowly forgetting. I want to heal too. I want to rush back, put my palms to the earth and say, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Thank you, thank you. It's so wonderful to hear that uh, read in your voice. Uh, I love the line, as if a flutter of small hands, tender and purposeful, never struck the sandpaper of a matchbox. This idea of undoing memories, I, re I really love that. How did you approach revising and editing this poem and getting it to its completed form? This poem was very, very barely edited, actually, which is unusual for me. I usually edit over weeks or months, but this poem just kind of came out of me. Um, and the matchbox and the fire under the porch just came out of me too, which was surprising because as a child, of course, I didn't burn my house down, right? But I think I, it just, I felt so compelled to write about that instinct or that like destructive instinct to like, destroy everything so then we can start fresh, then we can start new, which I think is just very human and very relatable. Um, so yeah, this, this pretty much came out for the most part the way it is. I can't remember anything that I cleaned up other than just maybe eliminating some words so there weren't redundancies or making the language a little bit tighter. Yeah, I've only had that happen twice. Interestingly, it was the cover poem for my book canvas was 80% just fell out of me one morning and I ended up just writing it in bed on my phone just and I couldn't type fast enough or swipe fast enough and uh, it's just that's only happened twice that and one other poem that's in the book where a much shorter poem that just fell out of me um, yeah most of the time it's churned out of me and re-churned and re-churned so it's nice that it happens once in a blue moon but uh well that, that's really interesting that was a beautiful choice so um what are you working on now what's next oh man what's next is i am churning out poems um, and submitting them to various magazines and journals i'm thinking that perhaps my next poetry book will be also nature themed, but focus more upon the metaphors in nature. Like I'm working on a poem right now about how the birds sing in the morning um, and that is altered sometimes by the cycles of the moon, which is really fascinating. So I've, I've dug into that and read some academic articles about birds singing and how the moon um, as it waxes and it wanes, how that affects that. And so I'm working on a poem right now about a bird, you know, waking up and 
singing its song. And then as the moon is kind of dropping in the sky, as the morning begins saying goodbye to the moon and they'll meet again at some point. So my work now is still nature focused, but I think I'm diving more into animals and plants and the wildlife here in Colorado, because there's just so much to write about here. It's so lush and beautiful. You know, it's like, it's interesting that you mentioned um, the research you're doing. I've done that for several poems too. I was uh, asked to do an ekphrastic poem about, uh, for a watercolor show. So I said, uh, well, I've never painted watercolors other than as a kid, which doesn't really count. Never done it in, in beyond, <laughs> beyond being an elementary school student. So I started watching YouTube videos of people doing advanced watercolor techniques and research and tried to find the language and then the interesting language that's used. And then they sent me a bunch of examples of things that will be at the show. And I'm trying to bury little Easter eggs of references to these paintings. But yeah, that's really, uh, I remember once I got a little, I was getting close to, to, um, uh, to getting writer's block. So I went on a road trip to this ghost town in Bodie, California, and it was perfect. It just triggered a, um, it triggered a bunch of new of images and things I could dig into. So that's great. All right. Well, final thing, uh, where could people find your book and where can people follow you on social networks? Absolutely. So my book is available most places where books are sold, which includes Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, and I also have a website, morganlippart.com, and Lippart is spelled L-I-P-H-A-R-T. And from there, you can click on a link and buy my book um, multiple different places. And you can find me on Instagram at M-L-I-P-H-A-R-T, just M Lippart. That's me. I'm pretty active there, and I post a lot of stories trying to encourage and bring beauty into people's day. So definitely encourage a follow there. Thank you very much, Morgan. And uh, I highly recommend people check out Barefoot and Running by Morgan Lippart, available in all the usual places. And uh, welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.